August 9th. Thank you, Heavenly Father God, for another day to bless and praise your name. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for giving us your word, Lord, and you proclaim your word is high above the heavens, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and majesty and praises, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you died for us and you shed your blood. And we're here, Lord. We are your fruit of your righteousness, of your praises all day long. Lord, bless the word as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Anna, would you start the reading? Sure. Okay, we're in uh, Ezra 8, 21 to 9, 15, please. Okay, and there by the Abaha Canal, I, Ezra, gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before God. We prayed that He would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on us all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. Thank you, God. Amen. I appointed 12 leaders of the priests. Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten other priests to be in charge of transporting the silver, the gold, the gold bowls, and the other items that the king, his council, his officials, and all of the people of Israel had presented for the temple of God. I weighed the treasure as I gave it to them and found the totals to be as follows. Twenty-four tons of silver, seven thousand five hundred pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to a thousand gold coins, two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. And I said to these priests, you and these treasures have been set apart as holy to the Lord, that this silver and gold is a voluntary offering to the Lord, the Lord of our ancestors, the God of our ancestors. Guard these treasures well until you present them to the leading priests, the Levites and the leaders of Israel, who will weigh them at the storerooms of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. So the priests and the Levites accepted this task of transporting those treasures of silver and gold to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. We broke camp at the Avaha canal on April 19th and started off to Jerusalem and the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived safely in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. On the fourth day after our arrival the silver, gold and other valuables were weighed at the temple of our God and entrusted to Merimoth, son of Uriah the priest, and to Eleazar, son of the Phenis, along with Josabad, son of Jehua, Jeshua, and Nodiah, son of Ben-Nui, both of whom were Levites. Everything was accounted for by number and weight. 
and the total weight was officially recorded. Then the exiles who had come out of Israel, um, then the exiles who had come out of captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. They presented 12 bulls for all the people of Israel, as well as 96 rams and 77 male lambs. They also offered 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was given as a burnt offering to the Lord. The king's decrees were delivered to the highest officers and the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, who then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led this way in this outrage. When I heard this, I have my cloak. I tore my cloak and my shirt pulled and my shirt pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel came sat with me because of this outrage committed by the re returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the sacrifice, I stood up from where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I felt I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord. I prayed. Oh God, oh my God, I'm utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up, lift up my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. But now we have been given... A brief moment of grace, for the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us relief from our slavery. For we were slaves, but in His unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, He caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so that we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, oh, our God, can we say after all this? What can we say after all this? For once again we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, The land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by the detestable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promise the peace and prosperity for those nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong and will enjoy the good things. The land produces, you enjoy the good things the land produces. 
and you will leave this prosperity to your children forever. Now we're being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt, but we've actually been punished far less than we deserve. For you, our God, have allowed some of us to survive as a remnant. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with people What, who do detest these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? O Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but as escape remnant. Through in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, let me read a couple of these uh, most asked questions and commentaries that are here. Okay. I think we're getting a great history lesson. Mm-hmm. Here were the Israelites in danger of losing their identity as God's holy people and what was done about it. One of Ezra's main purposes for writing his book was to remind the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem of their need to remain pure in their beliefs and commitments. When Ezra arrived in Jerusalem, he found that the people had intermarried with pagan foreigners, even though God's law did not permit it. As a result, their identity as God's holy nation was in danger of disintegrating. In order to impress on his readers the need for separation from these foreigners, Ezra recounts how these, how those who first returned to Jerusalem set an example. They refused to cooperate with the pagan people living around them. Those people had claimed to worship the same God, but they actually worshipped several gods in addition to Israel's God. If the Jews had joined with these people, they soon would have compromised their belief and became ungodly, just as Israel had done before the exile. The leaders who returned first understood the danger of accommodating these foreigners. They learned from their ancestors and experience from before the exile and refused to compromise their faith for the sake of peace. They carefully followed God's instructions in everything they did. If they were going to identify themselves as the servants of the God of heaven and earth, they would need to please and serve him and no other gods. The story of Ezra wrote recounting all this. God is holy and and he made the covenant with Israel to establish a holy nation. Israel's identity as God's people required purity in worship and social re- relationships. Okay, let me read the, today's study. It says, uh, Throughout his journey to Jerusalem, Ezra repeatedly refers to the gracious hand of the Lord guiding and protecting him. Clearly, Ezra trusted that God was powerful and good, but here we find Ezra wanting to ask the king for his truth's protection, but Ezra is ashamed to do it. If Ezra trusts in the Lord graciously hand, why does he desire the king's protection? Ezra obviously recorded the story of his journey after it was all over, but after, but before the journey, when he boasted to the king of our God hand of protection, that was probably just good theology, not true faith built on experience. It wasn't until Ezra had experienced God's gracious hand that he truly grasped it. Ezra could have swallowed his shame and asked the king for his truth protection, but instead Ezra left for Jerusalem in desperate dependence on God, praying for his safety and protection. In the same way, we often have opportunities to depend 
on ourselves or others instead of on God. But until we take the risk of trusting God, there's trusting God again, we won't have the chance to experience and know the gracious hand of God. So the point is trusting God. The other point is they were carrying, I don't know how would you move 24 tons of gold at that time yeah. unless they had carts with wheels. And they Incredible had amount of things they uh, were moving. They had like, you know, like 80, 42,000 uh, donkeys and, and you know, to move all that stuff. Something in incredible numbers they moved of, uh, and they went through dangerous places. And the people out there, they knew that the Israelis were going to be loaded, passing through there. Mm. And then I like when it says, the gracious hand of God of opportunity mm-hmm. was open. He opened, like, I think about us right now. The mm-hmm. gracious hand of God is with us. He's given us time. Right. And to uh, to read his word, Amen. so we feel like the gracious hand of God is with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not oppression, there's not an earthquake, there's not a famine, mm-hmm. there's not war, there's not uh, people with that need help desperately. We're here with a lot of time in our hands, and uh, we've been entrusted with this time. I feel like, you know, we can, we all, you know, room for improvement is the biggest yes. room in the room. Yes. It's the biggest room to improve ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and to think about these things. Yeah. Amen. You know, it's amazing how Ezra took a, upon the sins of the people upon himself and how ashamed and guilty he felt for them violating the commands of the Lord. And he just really, like it said, he tore his beard and he tore his hair out of his head and he tore his clothes. And he just really, you know, he just really, really... I think it was the, probably the pagan women were very uh, sexy, and they lured, the, you know, they lured the people mm-hmm. to um, get them out of their comfort zone. Just but like I, I, I like over here. Um, it reminds me of Jesus. It's in number nine. I think it's eight. Eight, nine, the end there. It says that for we were slaves, but in His abundant love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Uh, it just reminds me of Jesus, you know. For we were slaves to sin, but our because of God's love, He didn't abandon us. Amen, yeah. amen. Because of His love, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. The gracious hand of God with us, and He didn't abandon mm-hmm. us because of His love. I like when it says that you will eat the produce and the good of the land if you will follow mm-hmm. the Lord's commands mm-hmm. and basically is, is enjoying the fruit of mm-hmm. the ground, you know, yeah. and learning God's economy. Yeah, it, it's just kind of like, um, it reminds me of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, where it says, uh, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the fruit of the land. To trust the Lord mm-hmm. in faith to to sleep, to when you give, to trust Him every day, to mm-hmm. trust Him that He has your your hand, He has you under His hand. You know, a lot of people trust in so many different mm-hmm. things. Yeah, trust. I really like what Creflo said about the eye of the needle and how people interpret that, you know. Um, so it's just the it's all about trust. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to trust? Okay, let me read First Corinthians five one three thirteen. Okay. If you're if you're done, finish. yeah, I'm done. Okay, I, Paul, can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. 
You are so proud of yourself that you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Mm. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I, I was there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like the little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh bat of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with the people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I mean that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people, don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge others, but it certainly isn't your responsibility to judge those inside the church. It is certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God would judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. What do you got to say about that? Wow. Wow. Uh. <laughs> it's interesting how he says in that one paragraph, he says, um... I told you not to indulge with people who indulge or associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about the unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or agree. He's talking about those who people claiming to be a believer. Believers indulging in sexual sin, greed, mm -hmm. worship idols, abusive, drunkard, cheese people. Don't even eat with such people. You know, mm -hmm. they're living together or they're playing the horses or they're Lotto, oh, cheats people, drunkard. But amazing thing about it is I like the way he says, turn him over to Satan so he can um, destroy his sinful nature. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. So the sinful nature is uh, because he's born again, so the sinful nature will be... Um, will be uh, eaten up by Satan. And, you know, usually what we're saying is we turn over people to more alcohol drinking, so alcohol will destroy their nature drinking, and then they will say uncle. Mm. And then they would completely convince that, uh, you know, they got beat up. It was really interesting, you know, the in-depth. I notice how Paul uses the Old Testament right here, you must remove the evil person from among you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. You try to reason with somebody with grace and love, 
and uh, and then and you have to cast a judgment on them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just blatantly. This is blatant. I mean, this is straight. Blatantly, down. greed. Now, the greed you can't hardly see. Sexual sin, you don't know if the person is out there, you know. But you have to pick or abusive to their wife, mm-hmm. or is a drunkard, or cheats people. You know, these are Christians. Mm-hmm. Don't even cheat. Don't even eat with such people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting that you know you t- take a take a church for example, and um, you have the the pastor who's engaging in some type of. Well, let's say for instance he's in pornography, which right. is a big thing with pastors or whatever. Right. It's so easy to to deal with. And so you got to <coughs> remove that person. Yeah. From among you, because then, when you do it. Uh, you don't want to get that contamination in that whole batch of dough. You know, people get contaminated by that that sin in the church. You're supposed to be united, you know, worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord. A lot of churches fall yeah, into that thing. Right, and they fall into that. And um, I know that one church I was going to, they split up, the husband and wife, they, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole church fell apart. It was an extremely powerful church. In uh, Pomona. Mm-hmm. Anyway, today's study, First Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthians believer had refused to deal with a specific blatant sin in the church. The church was ignoring a situation most knew about, and Paul said the church had a responsibility to uphold God's commands. But Paul's instructions are specifically for dealing with blatant sin by a person who claims to be a Christian. Paul doesn't support disciplining or even judging those who are not believers. And not every sin deserves church discipline. Paul does not expect anyone to be sinless. Every believer struggles with sin daily. Rather, Paul is instructing the church regarding people who deliberately sin, feel no guilt, and refuse to repent. Such obvious sin left uncorrected, confused, and divide the congregation because the church is not practicing what it preaches. For many, the prospect of church discipline is filled with confusion and anxiety. The idea of punishing a fellow believer grates against many people's inclinations. Most churches simply avoid such confrontation, but just as parents punish their children to correct, restore, and guide them, a church should discipline believers with the goal of freeing them from sin and keep them in the community. And just like parents of church should discipline believers in the context of committee, Acceptance. Well, you know, um, Pastor Jim had uh, announced too. You know, you know, a char- he was saying in the church this side, there's a lot of Christians living together. Mm-hmm. You know, smoking mm-hmm. and drinking mm-hmm. and so forth and everything. And uh, he goes, you know, well, the worst is worse. Just keep coming back. Maybe you hear, hear something and you yeah, straighten out your mm-hmm. life. You know, it doesn't sound like leave and bring your ten percent too. Well, you know, we'll we'll accept uh, an offering from a grouch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just threw that in there. I'm sure he didn't say it like that, but. Uh, but you know, also part of the let's go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross, is a lot of the sin that has dominion over people because they don't know the true forgiveness of the cross, and what it's brought. So there's condemnation producing the constant. You know, just keeps going. Mm-hmm. You know, or 
Or maybe it's fake as a new church they're attending, and they're already living with the person, but what happened is where they were before was under the law, preaching the law. So, you know, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, you have to cast judgment like he did, you know. You bind a, bind the sin, and then, Lord, I said, open the judgment of heaven upon this person, you know, that their relationship will break up, that they're... You know, and they will see the hand of God moving, and they would, you know, you can you can do that, like Paul said, I cast judgment upon them, and turn them over to Satan. I haven't seen a church where they tell a person you mm-hmm. can't come in, you you know, you need to stay mm-hmm. out. I haven't seen that. You know, they welcome mm-hmm. people back, and they, a lot of people just keep struggling. Anyway, let's move on. Psalms 31, 1 through 8. We seek God alone for the protection and rejoice in His attention, care for you. We seek God alone for your protection and rejoice in His attentive care for you. Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear and listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I I will be saved. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me. For I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit in your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed over me to my enemies, but have set me in a safe, large place. Amen. Proverbs 21, 1 and 2. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord, He guides it wherever he pleases. Amen. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the reading of your word this day. Amen. Amen. Wow. Glad we did it. Make sure we put our Bibles close by. Um, August 9th. Thank you, Heavenly Father God, for another day to bless and praise your name. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for giving us... Your word, Lord, and you proclaim your word is high above the heavens, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and majesty and praises, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you died for us and you shed your blood. And we're here, Lord. We are your fruit of your righteousness, of your praises all day long. Lord, bless the word as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Anna, would you start the reading? Sure. Okay, we're in uh, Ezra 8:21 to 9:15, please. Okay, and there by the Abaha Canal, I, Ezra, gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before God. We prayed that He would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. 
After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on us all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. Thank you, God. Amen. I appointed 12 leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 other priests to be in charge of transporting the silver, the gold, the gold bowls, and the other items that the king, his council, his officials, and all of the people of Israel had presented for the temple of God. I weighed the treasure as I gave it to them and found the totals to be as follows. 24 tons of silver, 7,500 pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to a thousand gold coins, two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. And I said to these priests, you and these treasures have been set apart as holy to the Lord. That this silver and gold is a voluntary offering to the Lord, the Lord of our ancestors, the God of our ancestors. The God of our ancestors. Guard the, these treasures well until you present them to the leading priests, the Levites and the leaders of Israel, who will weigh them at the storerooms of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. So the priests and the Levites accepted this task of transporting those treasures of silver and gold to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. We broke camp at the Avaha Canal on April 19th and started off to Jerusalem and the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived safely in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. On the fourth day after our arrival, the silver, gold, and other valuables were weighed at the temple of our God and entrusted to Merimoth son of Uriah the priest and to Eleazar son of the Phinus, along with Josabad son of Jehua, Jesh, Jeshua and Nodiah son of Binnui, both of whom were Levites. Everything was accounted for by number and weight and the total weight was officially recorded. Then the exiles who had come out of Israel, um, then the exiles who had come out of captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. They presented 12 bulls for all the people of Israel, as well as 96 rams and 77 male lambs. They also offered 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was given as a burnt offering to the Lord. The king's decrees were delivered to the highest officers and the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, who then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. 
So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led this way in this outrage. When I heard this, I have my cloak. I tore my cloak and my shirt pulled and my shirt pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel came sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the sacrifice, I stood up from where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I felt I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord. I prayed, Oh God, oh my God, I'm utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up, lift up my face to you, for our sins are a pile higher than our heads and guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace, for the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us relief from our slavery. For we were slaves, but in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so that we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now our God, oh our God, can we say after all this? What can we say after all this? For once again we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, The land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by the detestable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promise the peace and prosperity for those nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong and will enjoy the good things. The land produces, you enjoy the good things the land produces, and you will leave this prosperity to your children forever. Now we're being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt, but we've actually been punished far less than we deserve. For you, our God, have allowed some of us to survive as a remnant. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with people what, who do dete these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? O oh Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but as escape remnant. Through in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. Amen. Amen. Um, let me read a couple of these uh, most asked questions and commentaries that are here. Okay. I think we're getting a great history lesson. Okay. Here were the Israelites in danger of losing their identity as God's holy people and what was done about it. One of Ezra's main purposes for writing his book was to remind the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem of their need to remain pure in their beliefs and commitments. 
When Ezra arrived in Jerusalem, he found that the people had intermarried with pagan foreigners, even though God's law did not permit it. As a result, their identity as God's holy nation was in danger of disintegrating. In order to impress on his readers the need for separation from these foreigners, Ezra recounts how these, how those who first returned to Jerusalem set an example. They refused to cooperate with the pagan people living around them. Those people had claimed to worship the same God, but they actually worshipped several gods in addition to Israel's God. If the Jews had joined with these people, they soon would have compromised their belief and became ungodly, just as Israel had done before the exile. The leaders who returned first understood the danger of accommodating these foreigners. They learned from their ancestors and experienced from before the exile and refused to compromise their faith for the sake of peace. They carefully followed God's instructions in everything they did. If they were going to identify themselves as the servants of the God of heaven and of earth, they would need to please and serve him and no other gods. The story of Ezra wrote recounting all this. God is holy and he made the covenant with Israel to establish a holy nation. Israel's identity as God's people required purity in worship and social re relationships. Okay, let me read the, today's study. It says, uh, Throughout his journey to Jerusalem, Ezra repeatedly refers to the gracious hand of the Lord guiding and protecting him. Clearly, Ezra trusted that God was powerful and good but here we find Ezra wanting to ask the king for his truth protection but Ezra is ashamed to do it if Ezra trusts in the Lord graciously hand why does he desire the king's protection Ezra obviously recorded the story of his journey after it was all over but after but before the journey when he boasted to the king of our God hand of protection that was probably just good theology not true faith built on experience. It wasn't until Ezra had experienced God's gracious hand that he truly grasped it. Ezra could have swallowed his shame and asked the king for his truth protection, but instead Ezra left for Jerusalem in desperate dependence on God, praying for his safety and protection. In the same way, we often have opportunities to depend on ourselves or others instead of on God. But until we take the risk of trusting God, there's trusting God again, we won't have the chance to experience and know the gracious hand of God. So the point is trusting God. The other point is they were carrying, I don't know how would you move 24 tons of gold at that time yeah. unless they had carts with wheels. And they Incredible had, amount of things they uh, were moving. They had like, you know, like 80, 42,000 uh, donkeys and and you know to move all that stuff something in incredible numbers they moved of uh and they went through dangerous places and the people out there they knew that the israelis were going to be loaded passing through there mm. and then i like when it says the gracious hand of god of opportunity mm -hmm. was open he opened like i think about us right now the mm -hmm. gracious hand of god is with us he's given us time right and to uh, to read his word, Amen. so we feel like the gracious hand of God is with us. You know, mm -hmm. we're not oppression. There's not an earthquake. There's not a famine. Mm -hmm. There's not war. There's not uh, people with that need help desperately. 
we're here with a lot of time in our hands and uh, we've been entrusted with this time. I feel like, you know, we can, we all, you know, room for improvement is the biggest yes. room in the room. Yes. It's the biggest room to improve ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, and to think about these things. Mm. Amen. You know, it's amazing how Ezra took a, upon the sins of the people upon himself and how ashamed and guilty he felt for them violating the commands of the Lord. And he just really, like it said, he tore his beard and he tore his hair out of his head and he tore his clothes. And he just really, you know, he just really, really... I think it was the, probably the pagan women were very uh, sexy, and they lured, the, you know, they lured the people mm. to um, get them out of their comfort zone. Just but like I, I, I like over here. Um, it reminds me of Jesus. It's in number nine. I think it's eight. Eight, nine, towards the end there. It says that, For we were slaves, but in his availing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Uh, it just reminds me of Jesus, you know, for we were slaves to sin, but our because of God's love, he didn't abandon us. Amen. Amen. Because of his love. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. The gracious hand of God with us, and he didn't abandon mm -hmm. us because of his love. I like when it says that you will eat the produce and the good of the land if you will follow mm -hmm. the Lord's commands mm -hmm. and basically is, is enjoying the fruit of mm -hmm. the ground, you know, yeah. and learning God's economy. Yeah, it, it's just kind of like, um, it reminds me of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, where it says, uh, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the fruit of the land. To trust the Lord mm -hmm. in faith, to sleep, to when you give, to trust Him every day, to mm -hmm. trust Him that He has your your hand, He has you under His hand. You know, a lot of people trust in so many different mm -hmm. things. Yeah, trust. I really like what Creflo said about the eye of the needle and how people interpret that. You know, um, so it's just it's the all fact about that, trust. Mm -hmm. Who are you going to trust? Okay, let me read First Corinthians five one three thirteen. Okay. If you're if you're done, finish. yeah, done. Okay, I, Paul, can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourself, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I, I was there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like the little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh bat of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. 
When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with the people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I mean that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people, don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge others, but it certainly isn't your responsibility to judge those inside the church. It is certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God would judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. What do you got to say about that? Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting how he says in that one paragraph, he says, um, I told you not to indulge with people who indulge, or associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about the unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or agree. He's talking about those who people claiming to be a believer. Believers indulging in sexual sin, greed, mm -hmm. worship idols, abusive, drunkard, cheats people, don't even eat with such people. You know, mm -hmm. they're living together, or they're playing the horses, or the lotto, <laughs> cheats people, drunkard. But amazing thing about it is I like the way he says, turn him over to Satan so he can um, destroy his sinful nature. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. So the sinful nature is uh, because he's born again. So the sinful nature will be, um, will be uh, eaten up by Satan. And, you know, usually what we're saying is we turn over people to more alcohol drinking, so alcohol will destroy their nature drinking, and then they will say uncle. Mm. And then they would completely convince that, uh, you know, they got beat up. Yeah, that's really interesting, you know, the in-depth. I notice how Paul uses the Old Testament right here, you must remove the evil person from among you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you try to reason with somebody with grace and love, and uh, and then and you have to cast a judgment on them. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just blatantly. This is blatant. I mean, this is straight. Blatantly, down. greed. Now, the greed you can't hardly see. Sexual sin, you don't know if the person is out there, you know. But you have to pick or abusive to their wife, mm -hmm. or is a drunkard, or cheats people. You know, these are Christians. Mm -hmm. Don't even cheat. Don't even eat with such people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you t take, a, take a church, for example, and um, you have the, the pastor who's engaging in some type of... Well, let's say, for instance, he's in pornography, which right. is a big thing with pastors or whatever. Right. It's so easy to, to deal with. And so you got to <coughs> remove that person yeah. from among you, because then when you do it... Um, you don't want to get that contamination in that whole batch of dough. You know, people get contaminated by that 
that sin in the church. You're supposed to be united, you know, worshiping the Lord, praying the Lord. A lot of churches fall yeah. into that thing. Right, and they fall into that. And um, I know that one church I was going to, they split up, the husband and wife, they, mm -hmm. you know, and the whole church fell apart. It was an extreme, extremely powerful church in uh, Pomona. Mm -hmm. Anyway, today's study, 1 Corinthians uh, the Corinthians believer had refused to deal with a specific blatant sin in the church. The church was ignoring a situation most knew about, and Paul said the church had a responsibility to uphold God's commands, but Paul's instructions are specifically for dealing with blatant sin by a person who claims to be a Christian. Paul doesn't support disciplining or even judging those who are not believers and not Every sin deserves church discipline. Paul does not expect anyone to be sinless. Every believer struggles with sin daily. Rather, Paul is instructing the church regarding people who deliberately sin, feel no guilt, and refuse to repent. Such obvious sin left uncorrected, confused, and divide the congregation because the church is not practicing what it preaches. For many, the prospect of church discipline is filled with confusion and anxiety. The idea of punishing a fellow believer grates against many people's inclinations. Most churches simply avoid such confrontation. But just as parents punish their children to correct, restore, and guide them, a church should discipline believers with the goal of freeing them from sin and keep them in the community. And just like parents of church should discipline believers in the context of committee, accept as well. You know, um, Pastor Jim had uh, announced too. You know, you know, a he was saying in the church this side, there's a lot of Christians living together, you mm -hmm. know, smoking mm -hmm. and drinking mm -hmm. and so forth and everything. And uh, he goes, you know, well, the worst is worse. Just keep coming back. Maybe you hear, hear something and you yeah, will straighten out your life. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't sound like leave and bring your ten percent too. Well, you know, we'll, we'll accept uh, an offering from a grouch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I yeah. just threw that in there. I'm sure he didn't say it like that, but... Uh, but, you know, also part of the... Let's go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross is a lot of the sin that has dominion over people because they don't know the true forgiveness of the cross and what it's brought. So there's condemnation producing the constant... You know, just keeps going. Mm-hmm. You know, or say the or maybe it's faith is a new church they're attending, and they're already living with the person. But what happened is, where they were before was under the law, preaching the law. So, you know, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, you have to cast judgment like he did. You know, you bind the bind the sin, and then Lord, I said, open the judgment of heaven upon this person. You know that their relationship will break up, that their you know, and they will see the hand of God moving, and they would, you know, you can you can do that, like Paul said. I cast judgment upon them and turn them over to Satan. I haven't seen a church where they tell a person, you mm -hmm. can't come in, you you know, you need to stay mm -hmm. out. I haven't seen that, you know. They welcome mm -hmm. people back, and they, a lot of people just keep struggling. Anyway, let's move on. Psalms 31, 1 through 8. We seek God alone for the protection and rejoice in His attention, care for you. We seek God alone for your protection and rejoice in His attentive care for you. Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. 
save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear and listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection. A fortress where I will be saved. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me. For I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit in your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. For you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed over me to my enemies, but have set me in a safe, large place. Amen. Proverbs 21, 1 and 2. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Amen. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the reading of your word this day. Amen. Amen. Wow. Glad we did it. Make sure we put our Bibles close by. August 9th. Thank you, Heavenly Father God, for another day to bless and praise your name. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for giving us your word, Lord, and you proclaim your word is high above the heavens, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and majesty and praises, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you died for us and you shed your blood and we're here, Lord. We are your fruit of your righteousness, of your praises all day long. Lord, bless the word as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Anna, would you start the reading? Okay, we're in uh, Ezra 8, 21 to 9, 15, please. Okay, and there by the Avaha Canal, I, Ezra, gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on us all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. Thank you, God. Amen. I appointed 12 leaders of the priests. Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten other priests to be in charge of transporting the silver, the gold, the gold bowls, and the other items that the king, his council, his officials, and all of the people of Israel have presented for the temple of God. I weighed the treasure as I gave it to them and found the totals to be as follows. Twenty-four tons of silver, seven thousand five hundred pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to a thousand gold coins, two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. And I said to these priests, you and these treasures 
have been set apart as holy to the Lord. The, this silver and gold is a voluntary offering to the Lord, the Lord of our ancestors, the God of our, the God of our ancestors. Guard the, these treasures well until you present them to the leading priests, the Levites and the leaders of Israel, who will weigh them at the storerooms of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. So the priests and the Levites accepted this task of transporting those treasures of silver and gold to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. We broke camp at the Avaha Canal on April 19th and started off to Jerusalem and the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived safely in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. On the fourth day after our arrival, the silver, gold, and other valuables were weighed at the temple of our God and entrusted to Merimoth, son of Uriah the priest, and to Eleazar, son of the Phenis, along with Josabad, son of Jehua, Jeshua, and Nodiah, son of Binnui, both of whom were Levites. Everything was accounted for by number and weight. And the total weight was officially recorded. Then the exiles who had come out of Israel, um, then the exiles who had come out of captivity, sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. They presented twelve bulls for all the people of Israel, as well as ninety-six rams and seventy-seven male lambs. They also offered twelve male goats as a sin offering. All this was given as a burnt offering to the Lord. The king's decrees were delivered to the highest officers and the governors of the province, west of the Euphrates River, who then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led this way in this outrage. When I heard this, I have my cloak. I tore my cloak and my shirt pulled and my shirt pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel came sat with me because of this outrage committed by the re returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. At the time of the sacrifice, I stood up from where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I felt I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord. I prayed, Oh God, oh my God, I'm utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up, lift up my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads and guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. 
But now we have been given a brief moment of grace, for the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us relief from our slavery. For we were slaves, but in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so that we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, oh, our God, can we say after all this? What can we say after all this? For once again, we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, The land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by the detestable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promise the peace and prosperity for those nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong and will enjoy the good things. The land produces, you enjoy the good things the land produces, and you will leave this prosperity to your children forever. Now we're being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt, but we've actually been punished far less than we deserve. For you, our God, have allowed some of us to survive as a remnant. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with people what, who do detest, these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? O Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but as escape remnant. Through in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. Amen. Amen. Um, let me read a couple of these uh, most asked questions and commentaries that are here. Okay. I think we're getting a great history lesson. Okay. Here were the Israelites in danger of losing their identity as God's holy people and what was done about it. One of Ezra's main purposes for writing his book was to remind the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem of their need to remain pure in their beliefs and commitments. When Ezra arrived in Jerusalem, he found that the people had intermarried with pagan foreigners, even though God's law did not permit it. As a result, their identity as God's holy nation was in danger of disintegrating. In order to impress on his readers the need for separation from these foreigners, Ezra recounts how these how those who first returned to Jerusalem set an example. They refused to cooperate with the pagan people living around them. Those people had claimed to worship the same God, but they actually worshipped several gods in addition to Israel's God. If the Jews had joined with these people, they soon would have compromised their belief and became ungodly, just as Israel had done before the exile. The leaders who returned first understood the danger of a accommodating these foreigners they learned from their ancestors and experience from before the exile and refused to compromise their faith for the sake of peace they carefully followed God's instructions in everything they did if they were going to identify themselves as the servants of the God of heaven of earth they would need to please and serve him 
and no other gods. The story of Ezra wrote recounting all this. God is holy and he made the covenant with Israel to establish a holy nation. Israel's identity as God's people required purity in worship and social re relationships. Okay, let me read the, today's study. It says, uh, Throughout his journey to Jerusalem, Ezra repeatedly refers to the gracious hand of the Lord guiding and protecting him. Clearly, Ezra trusted that God was powerful and good, but here we find Ezra wanting to ask the king for his truth's protection, but Ezra is ashamed to do it. If Ezra trusts in the Lord graciously hand, why does he desire the king's protection? Ezra obviously recorded the story of his journey after it was all over. But after, but before the journey, when he boasted to the king of our God hand of protection, that was probably just good theology, not true faith built on experience. It wasn't until Ezra had experienced God's gracious hand that he truly grasped it. Ezra who had swallowed his shame and asked the king for his truth protection, but instead Ezra left for Jerusalem in desperate dependence on God, praying for his safety and protection. In the same way, we often have opportunities to depend on ourselves or others instead of on God. But until we take the risk of trusting God, there's trusting God again, we won't have the chance to experience and know the gracious hand of God. So the point is trusting God. The other point is they were carrying, I don't know how would you move 24 tons of gold at that time yeah. unless they had carts with wheels. And they Incredible had... amount of things they uh, were moving. They had like, you know, like 80, 42,000 uh, donkeys and... And, you know, to move all that stuff. Something in incredible numbers they moved of, uh, and they went through dangerous places. And the people out there, they knew that the Israelis were going to be loaded, passing through there. Mm. And then I like when it says, the gracious hand of God of opportunity mm -hmm. was open. He opened, like, I think about us right now. The mm -hmm. gracious hand of God is with us. He's given us time. Right. And to uh, to read His Word, Amen. so we feel like the gracious hand of God is with us. You know, mm -hmm. we're not oppression. There's not an earthquake. There's not a famine. Mm -hmm. There's not war. There's not uh, people with that need help desperately. We're here with a lot of time in our hands, and uh, we've been entrusted with this time. I feel like you know we can we all you know room for improvement is the biggest yes. room in the room. Yes. It's the biggest room to improve ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, and to think about these things. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, it's amazing how Ezra took a, upon the sins of the people upon himself and how ashamed and guilty he felt for them violating the commands of the Lord. And he just really, it said he tore his beard and he tore his hair out of his head and he tore his clothes. And he just really, yeah, just really, really... I think it was the, probably the pagan women were very uh, sexy, and they lured, the, you know, they lured the people mm. to um, get them out of their comfort zone. Just but like I, I, I like over here. Um, it reminds me of Jesus. It's in number nine. I think it's eight. Eight nine towards the end there. It says that for we were slaves, but in His abandoning love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. 
uh, it just reminds me of Jesus, you know, where we were slaves to sin, but our because of God's love, he didn't abandon us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Because of his love. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. The gracious hand of God with us, and he didn't abandon mm-hmm. us because of his love. I like when it says that you will eat the produce and the good of the land if you will follow mm-hmm. the Lord's commands mm-hmm. and basically is, is enjoying the fruit of the mm-hmm. ground, you know, yeah. and learning God's economy. Yeah, it, it's just kind of like, um, it reminds me of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, where it says, uh, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the fruit of the land. So trust the Lord mm-hmm. in faith to to sleep, to when you give, to trust Him every day, to mm-hmm. trust Him that He has your your hand, He has you under His hand. You know, a lot of people trust in so many different mm-hmm. things. Yeah, trust. I really like what Creflo said about the eye of the needle and how people interpret that, you know. Um, so it's just the It's all about trust. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to trust? Okay, let me read 1 Corinthians 5, 1, 3, 13, okay. if, you're, if you're done. Finish. Yeah, I'm done. Okay, I, Paul, can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourself, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I I was there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like the little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh bat of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before I told you not to associate with the people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols, you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I mean that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people, don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge others, but it certainly isn't your responsibility to judge those inside the church. It is certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God would judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. What do you got to say about that? Wow. Wow. Uh. (laughs) It's interesting how he says in that one paragraph, he says, um, 
I told you not to indulge with people who indulge or associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about the unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or agree. He's talking about those who people claiming to be a believer. Believers indulging in sexual sin, greed, mm -hmm. worship idols, abusive drunkard, cheats people, don't even eat with such people. You know, mm -hmm. they're living together, or they're playing the horses, or the lotto, oh, <laughs> cheats people, drunkard. But amazing thing about it is I like the way he says, turn him over to Satan so he can um, destroy his sinful nature. And he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. So the sinful nature is uh, because he's born again. So the sinful nature will be um, will be uh, eaten up by Satan. And you know, usually what we're saying is we turn over people to more alcohol drinking. So alcohol will destroy their nature drinking, and then they will say uncle, mm. and then they will completely convince that uh, you know they got beat up. Yeah, that's really interesting, you know, the in-depth. I notice how Paul uses the Old Testament right here. You must remove the evil person from among you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you try to reason with somebody with grace and love. And uh, and then you have to cast a judgment on them. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just blatantly. This is blatant. I mean, this is straight. Blatantly. Greed. Now, the greed, you can't hardly see. Sexual sin, you don't know if the person is out there. You know, but you have to. Pick or abusive to their wife, mm -hmm. or is a drunkard, or cheats people. You know these are Christians. Mm -hmm. Don't even cheat. Don't even eat with such people. Yeah, I mean you know it's interesting that you know you t take a take a church for example, and um, you have the the pastor who's engaging in some type of. Well, let's say, for instance, he's in pornography, which right. is a big thing with pastors or whatever. Right. It's so easy to, to deal with. But so you got to <coughs> remove that person yeah. from among you. Because then, when you do it, uh, you don't want to get that contamination in that whole batch of dough. You know, people get contaminated by that. That sin in the church, you're supposed to be united, you know, worshiping the Lord, praying the Lord. A lot of churches fall yeah, into that thing. Right, and they fall into that. And um, I know that one church I was going to, they split up, the husband and wife, they, mm -hmm. you know, and the whole church fell apart. It was an extremely powerful church in uh, Pomona. Mm -hmm. Anyway, today's study, 1 Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthians believer had refused to deal with a specific blatant sin in the church. The church was ignoring the situation most knew about, and Paul said the church had a responsibility to uphold God's commands, but Paul's instructions are specifically for dealing with blatant sin by a person who claims to be a Christian. Paul doesn't support disciplining or even judging those who are not believers, and not every sin deserves church discipline. Paul does not expect anyone to be sinless, Every believer struggles with sin daily. Rather, Paul is instructing the church regarding people who deliberately sin, feel no guilt, and refuse to repent. Such obvious sin left uncorrected, confused, and divide the congregation because the church is not practicing what it preaches. 
For many, the prospect of church discipline is filled with confusion and anxiety. The idea of punishing a fellow believer grates against many people's inclinations. Most churches simply avoid such confrontation. But just as parents punish their children to correct, restore, and guide them, a church should discipline believers with the goal of freeing them from sin and keep them in the community. And just like parents or church should discipline believers in the context of committee, accept the you know, um, Pastor Jim had uh, announced too. You know, you know, a he was saying in the church this side, there's a lot of Christians living together, you mm -hmm. know, smoking mm -hmm. and drinking mm -hmm. and so forth and everything. And uh, he goes, you know, well, the worst is worst. Just keep coming back. Maybe you hear, hear something and you yeah, will straighten out your life. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't sound like leave and bring your ten percent too. Well, you know, we'll, we'll accept uh, an offering from a grouch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I yeah. just threw that in there. I'm sure he didn't say it like that, but... Uh, but, you know, also part of the... Let's go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross is a lot of the sin that has dominion over people because they don't know the true forgiveness of the cross and what it's brought. So there's condemnation producing the constant... You know, just keeps going. Mm-hmm. You know, or you know, say the or maybe it's faith is a new church they're attending, and they're already living with the person. But what happened is, where they were before was under the law, preaching the law. So, you know, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, you have to cast judgment like he did. You know, you bind uh, bind the sin, and then Lord, I said, open the judgment of heaven upon this person. You know that their relationship will break up, that their you know, and they will see the hand of God moving, and they would, you know, you can you can do that, like Paul said, I cast judgment upon them, and turn them over to Satan. I haven't seen a church where they tell a person you mm -hmm. can't come in, you you know, you need to stay mm -hmm. out. I haven't seen that. You know, they welcome mm -hmm. people back, and they, a lot of people just keep struggling. Anyway, let's move on. Psalms 31, 1 through 8. We seek God alone for the protection and rejoice in His attention, care for you. We seek God alone for your protection and rejoice in His attentive care for you. Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear and listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I, where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me. For I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit in your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed over me to my enemies, but have set me in a safe, large place. Amen. Proverbs 21, 1 and 2. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord, he guides it wherever He pleases. Amen. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the reading of Your Word this day.
Amen. Amen. Wow. Glad we did it. Whew. Make sure we put our Bibles close by.